And last week, Martin did a superb job of going over all my points for this week's sermon. Uh, <laughs> but it was, it was actually, it's, it's going to tie in quite well today to what he spoke about last week and what I'm going to speak about today, about baptism and how important that is to us. But the main thrust of this message today is that we can only do ministry and act as a Christian with the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And we'll see that today in today's text. Uh, it's about the baptism of Jesus. And it's really, really, for three verses, it's, it's pretty powerful. It's Mark 1, verses 9, 10, and 11. So let's pray, and we'll take a look at the text. Lord Jesus, again, we're grateful this Sunday that we can come into this building, Lord, and study your word and sing songs to you, and uh, just, just spend time in your presence, Lord. I'm mindful of the people that are traveling today, Lord. Uh, for Desi, tomorrow she heads back uh, from New York to California, Lord, that you give her safe passage, Lord. We're grateful for the miracle in her little life that uh, was performed through her and on her. Uh, Lord, we're, we're hoping that uh, doctors and nurses and staff at the hospital saw uh, just you through this whole thing, and maybe someone that didn't know you prior to this does now through the, the gift of life and love that you've given us in Desi. Lord, be with us this morning as we look at your word. Give me the wisdom to uh, to explain what I've studied all week, Lord, and give me the the, the just the presence of mind, Lord, to delve into your word this morning. We love you, and it's in your precious name I pray. Amen. <clears throat> Mark chapter 1. And I'm going to read back to where we were a week or two ago to get it into context for us. Um, in the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it was written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, make ready the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for forgiveness of sins. That's important today, we'll remember that. And all the country of Judea was going out to him, and all the people of Jerusalem, and they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. The picture we talked about a couple weeks ago of this throngs of people, thousands of people coming out to the Jordan, confessing their sins. These were Jews of the day. They went to be baptized because they said that they were not worthy enough to be considered in God's presence. The Jews thought that they were saved because they were Jewish. I get it really. In my family, we think that we're saved because we're Irish and we're Catholic. It's just, that's, you know, it's a cultural thing. And the Jews saw that. And they said, we're not. We, we, we are part of the promised people, but we're not saved. So we're going to go out to the Jordan and we're going to stand in front of God and say, cleanse me. Make me be able to stand in your presence again. That's the picture that Jesus was walking into here shortly. John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea was going out to him, and all the people of Jerusalem, and they were being baptized by him in the river, confessing their sins. John was clothed with camel's hair, and he wore a leather belt around his waist, and his diet was locusts and wild honey. And he was preaching and saying, After me, one is coming who is mightier than I, and I am not fit to stoop down and untie the thong, of his, the thong of his sandals. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And we saw that in Acts chapter 1, the, the creation of the church era. And, in, and here's our text for today. Now, in those days came Jesus 
or came from Nazareth and Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Immediately coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens open and the spirit like a dove descending upon him. And a voice came out of heaven saying, you are my beloved son in you. I am well pleased. That's the picture that Jesus walked into. That's that's the he, he spent 30 years of his life in Galilee, in Nazareth, a town not mentioned once in the Old Testament, not once in the rabbinical teachings. Even Josephus, the historian of the day, didn't mention that. It was just a, a, a middle of the, the nowhere, nowhere, on the other side of the tracks. It was, you know, like the south side of Rancho Cucamonga that we just never went down to. That's where he came from. Out of that came the son that he's, his beloved son he's pleased in. He didn't come from a palace. He didn't come from the upper crust. He didn't come from the best part of the country. He didn't come from the elite. He was a carpenter. He was the son of a carpenter. He he had bruised hands. He had the picture you see of of all the the cute pictures of him with the nice flowing hair. He looks like a European white guy. That that wasn't him. He, he, He was a Middle Eastern, dark skinned, muscly guy. He's been schlunking around lumber and building things for the better part of 30 years. He was a strong man, but he was just like us. He gave up. When he came to heaven, he, he, he this is very careful how I say this. He was fully God. He was fully man, 100% completely on both. But when he came to earth, as we'll see in the text here today, he gave up the, the divine nature for that 30-year block. He could not do anything without the Spirit. That's the message for us. That, that's... If, a pre-takeaway for the message today. If Jesus couldn't go to the cross without the support of the Spirit, without God the Father saying, you are my son. Don't forget that on your way to the cross. You are my son. In you I am well pleased. For this journey that's going to start today in this text, this is the launch of him going to the cross. This is the beginning of it. And the Spirit descends on him. We can't, I couldn't stand up here and, and teach her a message without relying on the Spirit. It's not my words, that, it, it, it's, it's my personality studying his word that brings the word to you, but it's, it's Christ's message. I couldn't do that without the Spirit. You can't do what you do without the Spirit. Try to minister on your own. Try to witness to somebody on your own power. Try to teach or talk to somebody in your own family that doesn't know the Lord on your own power, and you'll see quickly why you need the Spirit. And I've been caught in that many a time. I wish I was 100% totally all the time in the Spirit and did everything on the Spirit, but I do stupid things on my own. And those are the ones I get caught on. There's three things I want to point out, three of many, that I hope I get to today. Um, In verse 9, we have the appearing servant. In verse 10, we have the anointing spirit. And in verse 11, we have the affirming father. I hope to get all those today. But here we are in the desert, Jesus is coming down. There's thousands of people there. And he walks out to be baptized by John. And in those days, the days when John was ministering, Jesus came from Nazareth, a town of nothing, a town from nowhere, a little known. Nobody really knew about this place. They didn't look there for the Messiah to come. They didn't look there for the next king of Jerusalem to come. They didn't look there for the next mayor to come. This was just a little nowhere. And our Christ, the king of the universe, came from this town. He was not 
He was not the, the big shot coming down from Jerusalem with all the pomp and circumstance. He, he didn't come down with all the, the uh, drapery of, of the Sadducees and the Pharisees and the high priests with all the robes and all that. He came in as a humble servant. What was he serving? He was serving up his own blood for the redemption of us in three short years. Mark, in his gospel, this is the first time we come across the word immediately. But he says immediately 35 times in the short 16 chapters of Mark. Mark is writing like a young man in a hurry, but he's writing about a, a Messiah with a job to do. With he's, Jesus had his mind set on getting to the cross. That was his mission. He was, he was to get there. Not to look forward to dying, but to get there to redeem us. Us called by God. Us elected. Us saved. He did it for us. Everybody is going to know that. And we'll, we'll see that in this today too. But it's not just the saved that, that are going to call Christ the King. It's going to be the unsaved too. Those that don't know who Jesus Christ, every knee will bow and confess that He is Christ the King, the Lord. Whether you believe in Him or not, you're going to be confessing in fear or you're going to be confessing in adoration. In those days, when John the Baptist was doing all this, and what was John the Baptist doing? We talked about that two weeks ago. He was preaching an unsoft gospel, not a how to influence and win people kind of gospel. He told these people that you needed to repent and that you needed to turn to Christ and that you needed to ask for forgiveness for your sins. He didn't say... I wish to tell you a good story about a good prophet and a good man. Or have some cute slogan on how to start your day every day. You know, the modern day church, we have too many cute slogans. Instead of ha having the gospel of Jesus Christ preached. We, we turn on the radio and hope we get a feel-good message from somebody. We don't need a feel-good message. We need the gospel of Jesus Christ. In those days came from Nazareth in Galilee and he was and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Critical there, and Martin talked about it last week. He came to the Jordan, which is a big body of water. He was baptized by John in the water. The Greek word there for in is in. And we'll see it too in a different context when the Spirit comes down and descends on Christ. Jesus went into the Jordan. He didn't get the Jordan sprinkled on him. And I'm very cautious how I do this because I came from a, a, a tradition where sprinkling was the thing. And I don't, you know, I, I, was, I was thinking about it this morning when I was shaving, and I look back on that. I'm thankful, actually, that my parents cared enough about me to think that I should be sprinkled. You know, I don't look back at that in disdain and say, Lord, I, I'm grateful. That was the start of where I am today. If they didn't do that, and we didn't go to church every Sunday, even though I couldn't understand a word of Latin, and I couldn't understand it when there was a Portuguese priest trying to talk to us about it, I'm looking back on my life and think, praise God. No matter where we went, no matter what vacation were we on, no matter what city we went to, my parents dragged all five of us to Mass every Sunday. And I'm thankful for that. But there comes a point in our life, and I, I don't know the traditions that you, you all may have come from, but there comes a point in your life where you have to make a conscious decision. You're not saved, like, I, I, I remember the day, the week I was saved. I don't remember the exact day. I know it was a Sunday evening. And I walked down that aisle at Grace Baptist Church in Glendora. 
and I walked down and I, I was saved. That was it. But they had me sign a card. Signing a card doesn't make you saved. Walking down the aisle does not make you saved. What makes you saved is when you, you do what John said. Stop. Repent. Turn to Christ. Be baptized. And there's a certain order to that. The reason, and this is not, I'm not railing, again, my background. I'm not railing on infant baptism. But infant baptism, they don't fill those qualifications. As an infant, I did not know I was a sinner. I knew I was hungry and I had a wet diaper. You know, I, I didn't make a conscious decision to say, I repent of my sins. I didn't, I didn't have the ability to do that. And how, what sin could a, a one-week-old kid do? You know, it just it doesn't make sense to me. But when I went down that aisle at Grace Baptist as a you know, teenager in high school, it dawned on me, I am a sinner. I do need to be saved. And I started thinking about how I thought I was saved. And it, it wasn't lining up. It didn't make any sense to me as a young, just a young teenager. I walked the aisle again a couple weeks later, and a couple weeks later, I walked the aisle a lot. I didn't understand. I, I, I didn't have the grasp of it. But as I grew in my Christian faith, and I had mentors come alongside me and teach me, and, and say, you, you know, this is, this is the next step. I, it, it wasn't until I was 32 years old, that, or 30 years old, 32, that I was baptized. There was a long gap in between. Now, as you've heard me say before, if I got hit with the bus, I would have been in the presence of the Lord, saved as can be. Baptism, as Jesus was doing here, is, a, is an event to show the world that I followed, I filled these qualifications. I repent, I believe, I'm saved, I trust in Christ. Jesus didn't need to be uh, cleansed. Jesus didn't need to be repenting. Jesus didn't need to ask for forgiveness. Why was Jesus baptized? He was baptized because he wanted to identify with us. He wanted to identify with the thousands that were in the Jordan. That this is what I'm doing. I'm, I'm doing this for you so you can look towards me. And know that my journey to the cross is for you. That I'm going through this ritual thing for you. The, the, the ritual of the day. For you. He did not need to repent. This was a baptism of of demonstration, if you will, to the crowd around him. Look towards me. Look towards the journey. And in those short three years that he was ministering on his journey to the cross, how many in that thousands saw him over that three-year journey? Half? A third? Ten? One? There had to be people in the crowd that remembered this man, Jesus, coming out. The dove descending. The heavens open. He's healing and he's teaching and he's, he's, he, he's not like the Pharisees. He's not like the tradition that I grew up in. He's got a, a different message. The connection started here. And I often think about that. The, you know, we saw it when we did our, our uh, Easter message last year. You know, that I, I took a day, seven days going up to the cross and uh, to take us to the Easter message. And those people that were you know, praising and adoration of him you know, on Palm Sunday, they were part of the crowd that was here. They were, they, they, some of these people saw this. They were praising him. They knew he's going. Yes, our king has come. That same crowd just seven short days later, crucify him, crucify him. 
Same crowd. What, you know, I, I see what's going on in the Middle East, and, and I, I heard a commentator the other day say, what is in the mind of these people? How can a human being be like that? I, it, when she said that, I thought of this. How, what were they thinking? They saw the heavens open. They saw God speaking down to his son. They saw him going to the cross. They saw him up there and they still said, crucify him. What was their mindset? I think the qualifications of being baptized. They never repented. They never turned to God. They never asked for forgiveness. In those days, when Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee, and he was baptized by John in the Jordan, immediately coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens opening and the spirit like a dove descending upon him. Immediately <laughs> comes up out of the water and he saw the heavens opening. The heavens did not open on their own. Who opened the heaven? God, the Father, opened the heavens. And the word here that they opened, this is a violent tearing away. Mark uses the same word. When the, the uh, curtain is rent in the temple, a violent action. And I can picture God in heaven looking down at his son and ripping it open and saying, you're going to the cross. In you I am well pleased. Don't forget that I'm with you all the way. And to do it, he did it in a, a, in a way that could be seen by everybody. I can't tell in the text, and I couldn't tell in, in the reading and studying for this, if all the thousands that were there saw this. If the writer, you know, the, the, the men that were around Jesus saw it, I don't know if just Jesus saw it, I, I, I'm not sure, but I can tell you the words that, that are in here, that God the Father ripped open the skies to look down. And we saw that in the Psalms where God bent down to hear our prayers. I can just picture God the Father looking down and bending down. Get the, You know, it's a crazy picture, but Jesus, in you I am well pleased. As this journey you're about to go on, as, as you step towards the cross, as you, as you witness for the next three years, as you heal the sick and the lame, as you tell the, the women at the well that you love them and that I love them, I'm with you every step of the way. You are my son, and in you am I well pleased. Immediately, he says, coming up out of the water, and he saw the heavens opened up. There's a few places... I just want to read a couple of passages to you. The picture of this. There's only a few that saw the heavens open. Ezekiel chapter 1. Now he came about the 13th year and the fifth day of the fourth month. When I was by the river Krabar among the exiles and the heavens were opened and I saw visions of God on the fifth of the month of the fifth year of Kim of King Jehoiakim's exile. And the word of the Lord came expressly to Ezekiel, the priest, the son of Buzu, and the land of the Chaldeans by the river Kabar. And there the hand of the Lord came upon him. I looked, and behold, a storm. Wind was coming from the north. The great cloud with fire flashing forth continually. Bright light around it. And in the midst of this, something like a glowing metal in the midst of fire. I can picture there at the baptism of Jesus, this image. Something that you, you couldn't imagine. The glory of heaven opening up. 
Stephen saw it in, 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 in Acts. Acts 7, verse 54. And this is Stephen being put to death. A tough time. And now when they heard this, they were cut to the quick and they began gnashing their teeth. But being full of the Holy Spirit, he gazed intently into heaven. Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven. He was about to be killed. There was a crowd around him. And he looks up. Being full of the Holy Spirit, he gazed intently into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. What a picture. You're about to be put to death for your faith. How do you hold it together? You look up. I would look up and say, oh, Lord, just take this fast. And he looks up and sees the glory of heaven opening up. It's a real picture. We get to go there. We someday will see this in its vibrant, full color. Not just text, not just somebody speaking it to you, not listening to it. We will stand in that same spot where God the Father looked down at his son and said, in you I am well pleased. And we will see this magnificence. And in Revelation... After, after John goes through all his this, the messages of the seven, seven churches, he gets to chapter 4. And this is John writing this from the Isle of Patmos as an old man. And he wants us to get this into us. And he says, after these things, after talking to the seven churches and telling them all the things I need to tell them, after these things, I looked up and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard, like the sound of a trumpet speaking to me, said, Come up here and I will show you what must take place after these things. And immediately I was in the Spirit and behold, a throne was standing in heaven. And one sitting on the throne. And he who was sitting was like jasper stone and sardis in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne like the emerald in appearance. He couldn't paint a better, prettier picture. He couldn't. There's no more vibrant words that he could have used to describe what he saw. And that's where God the Father is up in heaven looking down at this point, at the baptism of his son. Jesus was with the Father in heaven. The Father sent the Son for a purpose. He left the picture of, of all that glory and all that magnificence of the Trinity in heaven just relishing in each other's company to step down here on this earth, to come through a, a manger in Bethlehem, to, to be a carpenter for 30 years, to, to quit his job and the security he had it back home with mom and dad, to set forth on a mission. And that mission, he knew what was coming. That mission was to go to the cross for us. That's why when I think about my salvation, how fortunate I am that I came to faith in the 70s, it was nothing that I did. It's nothing that I could have earned. It's nothing I could do better. There's nothing I can do to make it any better. Jesus Christ did it all. And it started here. He went to the cross for me and for you. Back to Mark 1. And a voice came out of heaven. You and only you are my beloved son. And in you, I am well pleased. Well pleased for what? 
you are my son. I, you know, I try to put this in my context with my sons often. I use them as kind of the, the image here. God the Father knew what was going to happen to Christ the Son. He knew he was going to go to the cross for us. I can't imagine that. I, in my life with one of my two, three sons, which one do I send? And when I pick which one I send, I'm pleased with you. You go to the cross. You two, the other two, you're okay, stay here. Jesus had one son, or Father had one son, Jesus Christ. And that one son, he said, I am sending you for a purpose. And I often, you know, I think, why were we created? You know, you hear often, well, God was lonely. He wanted to have, you know, people around. So he invented us, and then he figured out a way to save us. That wasn't the case at all. We are here for a purpose. We're here for God's purpose. And our purpose is to hear the message of John the Baptist and repent of our sins and turn to him in faith, accept the free gift of salvation from his son. Not so that we won the e-ticket to get to heaven, but we get to heaven and we get to praise him for eternity. We are the bride of Christ. We are going to be presented to him forever to worship him, to adore him. That's, that's our purpose. The only way we can get to that point is if we follow the model that John the Baptist set out. Believe, repent, be baptized. And as I've said many a time, baptism is not a salvation event. It wasn't for Christ. Salvation, or, or baptism is an event to show those around that I have made a decision for Jesus Christ. And this is my public acclamation of that fact. And I would say if, if you were like me and you were raised in a tradition and you were baptized as a, an infant or not at all, to think back on it and think, should I be baptized? If you haven't, I think you should reconsider it. There's a clear model in this text of how Jesus did it, of how John the Baptist did it. And I think it, we are compelled to follow this model. If you're... And I don't want to add heaps of coal of guilt to your already busy lives. But if you haven't been baptized, or you're not sure, when you talk to Martin and myself, we'll be happy to, uh, to walk you through that. But I'm going to ask you, if you do come to me, I'm going to ask you the same four things that, that John the Baptist is declaring here. Do you believe in Christ? Have you repented of your sins? Now, we're all good people. We don't need to repent, do we? Do you trust him for your salvation and nobody else? Or do you, do you have... Do you, do you think you're a good person, therefore you get extra brownie points? Martin's going to ask you the same hard four questions, three or four questions. Because we have a model here. You know, I, I, I'll, I'll let you in on a secret. I was called by a friend, oh, maybe two years ago or so. I don't know why I tell you these stories. This, one, this one's not putting me in a favorable light. But it's important, I think. Called me and said, hey, my daughter wants to be baptized. Would you mind? And I said, would I mind? I'll be there in a minute, you know. So we made the appointment for the next Saturday. They had a, a pool, and uh, I got there, and the, the girl didn't want to get her hair wet. She didn't want to go in the pool. So here I got 50 family members. I got me, the big shot reverend. I've got a girl that didn't want to get her hair wet. What do I do? It was a tough one. I didn't want to make a scene, so I did sprinkle with the conversation. And I said, this one here needs to be redone when you can get your hair wet. But I didn't want to cause a scene. It'd be like at a wedding, you find out you know, 
something nefarious is going on. You're standing up there with the whole world. What do you do? I look back on that event, and especially preparing for this message, I fell short. I fell short. I had good motives. I didn't want to cause a scene for this family, but I fell short by not... John said how to do it. Jesus said how to do it. There's, I don't have an escape clause. I made one. And I... I don't know if it's the Irish Catholic thing, the guilt, it, it, it mounts on me. So, I don't know why I told you that story, but I did. So, if we're going to have an elders meeting, I'm probably going to get in trouble. <laughs> I repent of that, though. <laughs> so, immediately coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens open, the Spirit like a dove descending upon him. God the Father rips open heaven. We saw the glory that was, when you looked up, you saw this. And now, the Spirit leaves heaven and comes down and descends upon Jesus. The word upon there is not the right Greek word. It's the same Greek word, E-I-S, ice, for in. The Spirit descended in Jesus. Jesus is engulfed with the Spirit of God. Look at what we'll get to next week, verse 12. Immediately the Spirit impelled him to go out into the wilderness. Jesus now goes out next week for 40 days and 40 nights wrestling with the devil. What's the first thing that God did to prepare him for it? The spirit, like a dove. Not a dove, like a dove. We don't, you, can't, you can't describe what it was like. So it looked like a bird. We'll call it a dove. It's clearly in the, in the original text, not a dove. So the spirit didn't come down and take the form of a dove and land on his shoulder like you see on the pretty pictures. The spirit like a dove descending in him. Jesus could not have started his public ministry without the help of the spirit. If Jesus couldn't go into the wilderness next week, and couldn't march towards the cross without the spirit, I cannot minister without the spirit. You cannot operate as a Christian without the spirit. You know, and again, as I say very often, our Pentecostal brethren don't have a lock on that. We have that same spirit. We operate with the gift of the Spirit. We minister. We, you know, when I go to hospitals and I hold the hand of those dying, I can't do it on my own. It hurts. I can't, I can't sit there holding hands knowing that, that this loved one is going. I, I, I just can't, I can't think of words out. The things that I see in my role as a minister, not this part, this, this part's the easy part, it's the hard part is, is seeing people make the same stupid mistakes over and over and over again. I couldn't do that on my own accord without the Spirit. I would look at somebody and say, are you stupid? You've done the same thing for 40 years. Of course your liver is going to fall out. Uh. There's some, and Martin knows this too, there's some hard parts in ministry. We can't do it without the Spirit. There's hard parts in your life that you cannot do in the Spirit. Think of that one person, again, I'll use that one person in your life that you've been trying to get through. And you've been trying to do everything you can for years to get this person to understand. Don't you understand? Don't be stupid. That's what you want to say, but you don't, right? You're more polite than me. That one person, maybe you've been trying too hard. Maybe you've been trying to do too much. Maybe you think that you can win them over here for the Lord. 
Give it up. Stop it. Don't try to do it on your own accord. Let Jesus do it. Let the, the Spirit empower you to step back and say, okay, I'm stepping back. This is not my burden anymore. This is yours, Lord. Turn that over to Him. Turn that one family member over to Him. Completely. Don't, don't try to outfox that person. Don't try to outthink that person. I've got lots of in my family that I'm always trying to outfox and always trying to outthink. So this message is for me as well. I need to step back. I need to do what John the Baptist said and repent. Lord, forgive me for trying to do this without you. I can do it. I know I can do it. Then a voice came out of heaven and said, You are my beloved son. Not in the text, but taking from the context... You are my beloved son. Start this journey. His first job, we'll see next week, was going out into the wilderness. What a way to start your career, your three, your mission trip. 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness. But God the Father said, Spirit, descend. And he descended in Jesus. And launched Jesus now on his three-year march towards the cross. And in you. My son, in you, my beloved son, I am well pleased. God the Father saw the end game. God the Father saw what was going to happen. God the Father knew he was going to go to the cross. And he knows I am well pleased. The takeaways.